here we are. We're back. Here we are. We're beautiful. We're back for we're another bold. episode. We're bodacious. And uh, I just got invited to a Super Bowl party. And you'll love the facts of it. The facts are that it's a Super Bowl party where we're going to eat a lot of Super Bowl-inspired cuisine and not watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> Quinn. Wait, do we know who's doing the halftime show at the Super Bowl? I it's don't know. Usher. Okay. I, I think it's you. Usher. I think that's what it is. I think it's Usher. I am. I, my finger is more to the pulse of pop culture, I would say, than you are. Oh, And I think infinitely. that's an insult to me. Infinitely. Infinitely. And again, an, an absolute insult to me. Yeah, Usher's doing the Super Bowl halftime show. I what mean, does Usher sing? Yeah, yeah. Should I get the... Uh, uh, oh, and then, okay. Um, I actually did right? know what that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. love to hear some fun news for me that i'm gonna be doing a show that i'm acting in a play <gasps> show wait mm-hmm. wait 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 tell me more when is it what's the date so um, i put it on my calendar well i think there'll be an understudy for me the first weekend because i'll be in portugal but i, I think it, it opens um it opens on the super bowl sunday speaking of uh and February 11th, yeah. And then it's going to run through the end of March on the weekends. And it is uh, an immersive clue-solving tea party <sighs> where there's the sort of backstory is that there's... Have I seen this? Yes. It's that golden scratch Oh, my God. Quinn, you're going to be amazing. You're going to be so good. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be... Oh, my gosh. ...really fun. And it's fun because it's like a brunch show. So yes. every weekend it's at 11, done by 1, back home to... Take the kids to a horrible museum, uh, my new hobby. Hell, have them meet you in New York. And You're have right. You, have them meet you in Manhattan. Get a ride home. And you can go to the museum with them. Get a ride home. Yeah, I, I'm excited. This is great. It's been a while since I've acted in anything. I, yeah. You know, I've been doing a lot of writing or, or directing, but I don't usually get to act. At, well, that's not true. I get to act, but in... Um, one this night feels different. murder mysteries that it's like a one-off. Yeah. Um, this is like a run. You have like a proper run. Because I'm also acting in a murder mystery this month that is a Roaring Twenties theme. And are you ready for what the, the client wants? <laughs> do you I, remember when we had to do this, that weird Roaring Twenties, just oh, like yeah. immersive thing? Totally. Everybody <laughs> likes so a, weird. So many companies I work for do a Roaring Twenties. And it's fun. It is fun. I do like the clothes. So what's so odd about this one is they want me to show up at a woman's house in Manhattan that uh, is having this party and show up like I know her and I'm her friend and be a guest at the party and eat and drink with everybody and hang out for like an hour and then like scream and die and then stand (gasps) up and be like, just kidding. I wasn't murdered, but there was a murder tonight, and it's up to you to solve it. And then introduce all the facts and like host the murder. Quinn, the idea of you that's at a dinner what the party. client wants. It's not what they sell. They sell typically this company. I walk in in costume, and I'm like, "Here are all your I am parts," a part of this. and then I host the murder mystery. This like idea, this tricking them idea, 
is all is the almost, client's idea wait, and how she wants it incredible. done. So this is incredible. It's just I have to show up at this party and just be Quinn for like an hour and then be like, just kidding, I'm a dead. Just kidding, I'm not dead, but someone is. The idea is. that you're going to scream like, I, God, I would pay so much money for a recording of you screaming and dying in front of these people that you have to, because you're going to know them. You're going to like, I'm going to just gonna hang be, out with them and be, and had like a oh backstory. Oh my God, this is so good. I mean... Do you know, like, tell me about, like, do you have a plan? Like, how are you going to die? Like, so, like, so, okay, wait. I don't have a plan. Wait, what do you do? I'm going to give you a little hypothetical. You're talking to someone and they're like, yeah, no, it's, I've been having a hard time lately. My, my mom just died and, you know, it's been tough. And then, like, it's a, (laughs) oh my God, you think that's going to happen? You're, you're actually picturing, like, what would the worst case scenario of the night be? If someone was like, trusted me suddenly and was yes. like actually my my brother was murdered last year <laughs> i'm gonna be like and then you have to be ah! like and then like it's at that moment that the host is like hit it quinn and you just have to like <laughs> the truth is i'll do anything for money Honestly, I will you'll do humiliate anything for no myself for money. It's been tr- <laughs> you'll tested, humiliate yourself for true. no money. So I can't say. And likewise, I will humiliate myself for no money. So if there's any money in the thing, shame completely gone out the fucking window. Need not apply. You're not welcome. I am here. looking forward to telling you how it goes. I think that's in a couple. Oh that's in like a week, maybe. That's the, let me look. At oh, Quinn, that that's thrilling. That's a week I, from Friday. So oh, I got to. Uh, can you do me a favor? Can you do the podcast a fucking favor? Can you record on your phone? Can you no, like, I would hit never. a voice memo? No, no I'm no, going to no, be you don't so have to set it up. anxious that night, period. Quinn, I don't need any I'm other so things obsessed. on my plate. Do you need an assistant? Do they want someone to be like, oh, these are my two friends from school. You know, can I come? I'm I'll try to get dying you the gig. to see this. It's definitely... No pun intended. I am dying to see this. This is incredible. It's going to be very painful. And like, are you going to drink a glass of wine and pretend to be poison and go, this is, is there peanuts can I tell in you here? Like wh- all the notes that I have <laughs> I'm on it. I'm dead about this. This is a wild this idea. This is the notes. And it's like, I got a calendar invite. I know how to do this. And I said, yes. And then the calendar invite was like, <laughs> This event has been updated. And I was like, oh, I wonder if the location changed or the time changed. Nope. I click on it and they write, it's the client's birthday and wants to be a surprise for guests. Arrive in street clothes and pretend to be a guest. Can't eat and drink. You will fake your own death. Pop up, quote, JK, but you will be solving a murder tonight. And then go change and organize and distribute. So... I don't know. I oh, don't know. Oh, God. I just like, we just released the Toilet Legs episode. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, the feedback from Toilet Legs was exactly how I wanted it People to be. People want me to humiliate myself. Was, and, and, and you I, will. And, and you will. And I. That's why I signed up for this next event. I agree. Quinn, I am like, this tickles a part of me that it just, I love it. 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 I'm so excited. Tell me more. Tell me more. This is the best. This is um, the best day of my life. All right. Well, I'm glad you're I'm going to set a reminder. It's going to be my schedule, and I'm just going to text you be like, what happened do now? Do me a okay, favor. Okay, sorry. Why don't you channel yes. that excitement into singing okay. a song for our new Patreon <gasps> subscriber, Eliza. Yes. Eliza, Eliza, you are no surprise to me to be such a fancy free woman. I think you're great, Eliza. That was great. Quinn? 
Thank you. Do you really mean that? I'm shocked. Because um, it's usually so bad. This person's name, I don't know how <laughs> to say it. I'm going to spell it for you. It's J-U-L-L-E-A. Julia. Julia. It could be Julia. It could be Julia. Right. Julia, 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 Julia. What is your name? I don't know. Frame Julia, Julia, Julia. What's for sure? Julia, Julia. Is you are a jewel. You are a precious stone. We hold you close to our heart. We write you a poem. We tell you about a murder and a rape. You can't escape. But that's the show you chose. That's your bed. Now you have to lie in it. Don't. Ryan, escape and rape. <laughs> Just we did you know get what? some no, hate mail recently. We did get some hate mail recently, and I took a screenshot of Quinn, and it was really funny. I'm not going to repeat it because it doesn't deserve that light of the air, the the breath of air that this podcast is giving. But it was it was a wild it was wild it was a it was wild really piece a wild. of hate mail. But I think my favorite part about it is it called us disgusting tramps, <laughs> <laughs> and they're not wrong. And we'll take and, it, frankly. And the best is that Quinn was like, I was like, wait, so this is insane, right? And she's like, yeah, this is a crazy person. Also, I think a good rule of thumb is if someone is offering you criticism and calls you disgusting tramps in it, they're probably to be ignored. And I was like, that is, that's something that I have to remember is like if someone is giving me a horrible feedback and they're being so gross and mean, then their criticism is not worth it. I also and like I think, to picture you, know, you like out to tea with somebody and they're talking to you and giving you constructive feedback and you're listening really patiently and you're taking it and then suddenly they call you a disgusting tramp. And, and, and listen, context, you're a disgusting you're like, tramp. Oh, and, and then you're you like, just get up and leave. And oh, I never go. mind, Bye. never mind. Oh, never mind, never mind. I was listening to you. You had me up until disgusting tramps. And we are. But anyway, next name. Brooke G. You're not a tramp to me. Brooke G. Babylon Brook flowing through my life. Do you Brooke cook? G, I want to know. You are so fun it. to me, Brooke G. You are a nice person, <laughs> and I like. To- <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're as swell as a hearse on Christmas Day because it's <laughs> birthday of a sorts, and it's such a way. To see the world, Brooke G. From the back of a hearse. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ever laugh when a hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die. (gasps) How does the rest go? I've never heard that before. Really? Don't ever laugh when a hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die. They'll put you in a big black box and cover you up with dirt and rocks. All goes well for about a leak until the coffin begins to leak. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinnacle on your snout. I can't remember the rest. You remembered a lot, though. Thank you. You can't remember the rest, but Jesus Christ, you remembered a lot of that. Childhood. I mean, I think, you know what, I would kind of like, you know what, if I was ever in a hearse, mm-hmm. Donate my body to science. Mm-hmm. But if there was ever a hearse, like what would be a fun thing that would make people laugh? Like instead of just married, would it be like just alive? <laughs> <laughs> just lost life. Yeah. Like just married with like cans. Would it be like just alive? Like was just alive, you know, mm-hmm. was recently alive? Most recently you saw me in my alive form. <laughs> no longer. I do think don't Any ever laugh names? when a hearse goes by written on the side of a hearse would be met with 
a smile from those that grew up in my generation and know the song. It would be weird. What is that from? Being a child. I, I guess you weren't That's one. That's not what being a – I was never a child. And me? Me? Never a child. It's weird. Mm. Oh, my God. Did I tell you? I went to Key West this weekend. No. Oh. We took the ferry there, which was four hours, and it was, like, totally fine. On the way back, we took the ferry back. Quinn, did you ever see Triangle of Sadness? Yes. Did you shit all over the bathroom? It's worse. It was, we were taking eight to like six to eight foot waves on this ferry. Everyone was sick. And the guy was like, like my sister, I, what I did is I went outside, was like staring at the Mm -hmm. horizon. I came back in. I like couldn't be around people. I just like sat and meditated and was like, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up. And I was just trying to will myself to sleep and counting my breaths, like massive meditating. I get back and my sister and her friends were like, you see that table across from us? All of them puked. That guy puked on his lap. That guy blew chunks all over the table. And this guy, Walter, who was like the steward, was cleaning everything up. Like my friend who was with us, my sister threw up four times. Like like it was wild in a way that I was like, and he was like, yeah, this is nothing. We had 400 people throwing up last Tuesday. It's like if the weather is bad on this ferry. This is a very bad job being the steward of the ferry. It sounds like worse, but we're like, this guy's seen some shit. Like, he's for sure been in the mob and wow. has cleaned up dead people. Like, the throw up did not phase him. But I'm telling you, like, the amount of people are sick on this fucking boat, it was absolutely bonkers, insane, wild, and it was triangle of sadness in real in real time. I think that the story I'm about to tell you is going to make you feel scared. Oh, by the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ippema. And the story I'm about to tell deserves quite a trigger warning because it's got sexual violence and regular violence of a very extreme variety. And some of the visuals that I'm going to have to give to you are going to majorly bum you out and maybe make you triangle of sadness on yourself. So I do recommend like... Maybe even like looking up the story if you're not so sure. This is Alison Botha's story. It's been well documented so and covered, I'm but so it is um, a very disturbing story. Um, I did watch the documentary Allison on Amazon, available to stream now. Uh, I also read articles in All That's Interesting, The Times, and Mamma Mia. Our story begins in and ends, frankly, in South Africa. Let's start with a young veterinary student whose name is Tian Elard. He is on vacation in Port Elizabeth, and he's driving down the highway and suddenly stops his car because in the middle of the road on the white line that divides the two lanes is what appears to be a dead body. He gets out of his car and approaches and sees that this person is not dead, but they are very near death. It's a woman who has been what looks to be disemboweled, and there's blood all over her body. He, Mm -hmm. because he is a vet, uses some of his training to keep her alive. He takes off his shirt. He covers her with it. She's all but naked. He notices that her thyroid is exposed. and Oh, so she has a cut to her throat. To her throat. And he's able to basically use his training to get it back inside her body. And he calls for help, obviously, right away. And he's just lying with her 
holding her hand, talking to her, being with her until the medics arrive, which is a long time, like maybe half an hour. They're in the middle of the bush. So oh it's it's not convenient. He even says that when they get there, he doesn't get the sense they're rushing. And he feels like they're maybe not rushing because it's so obvious that this person is not going to make it. And so he's like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And she goes to the hospital. And when she goes into surgery, he gets separated from her. The staff tasked with working on her are horrified. And they've seen a lot of violence, obviously, a a lot Mm -hmm. of horrible things in their day. They have never seen anything like this. One of the doctors said he has never seen injuries this severe in the 16 years he's practiced medicine. Everyone is pretty certain they're going to do what they can, but she is not going to survive. But she does survive. And this is her story. Her name is Allison Botha. She was born in 1967 in South Africa. Uh, Her parents get divorced. She lives with her mom and her brother, and she has a totally normal life. She finishes high school, spends a few years traveling, and then gets back home to South Africa and gets a job as an insurance broker. And in 1994, now at the age of 27, she is having a totally great beach day with all her pals in Port Elizabeth. After they go to the beach, they go back to her house. They have pizza. They play Balderdash. And then she has a pal that needs her to drive her home. So Allison leaves home, drives her friend to her house, and then gets back to her house and is like, ooh, my parking spot was taken. Sees another spot uh, a little bit down the road. It's walking distance. It's fine. It's under a big tree. But the big tree is kind of blocking the lights So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit in darkness. She goes to pull into the spot and she wants to grab her laundry out of the car. And suddenly she becomes aware that there's a temperature shift in the car because there's it's like warm air. Someone has opened the other door. She turns. I thought it was someone breathing on her neck. I thought it was someone breathing on her neck. It might as well be. It is a guy standing there with a gun. And he says to her, move over or I'll kill you. So she now scoots to the passenger side and he puts himself in the driver's seat. And he says, I don't want to hurt you. Basically, this is a carjacking. I need to use your car for an hour. And she then is like, great, please let me out of the car. And he's like, no. He introduces himself as Clinton. And he's like, this will all be over soon. They leave. He's telling her that somebody owes him money, that he's going to need to stop. It's not going to be long. And he drives to a main street, sees a guy that he's obviously picking up. And this guy, Thuins, jumps in the back. And any part of her at this point that was like, I think I'll be all right. It shifts. It shifts because of this guy, um, Thuins. Or Thunes, I'm, I think it's Thans. It's T H E U N, which is a hard name for me to say because I'm not totally sure how it's pronounced. Um, and you would think mm-hmm. I would know because I just watched the documentary and they say it. Still, no, something still, about still, it still won't up stick. Yep, yep, um, without a paddle. Yep. He has this evil aura about him, 
and she tries to meet his eye in the rearview mirror and is like, mm-mm, this is bad. Bad news, bad news. They drive to the outskirts of town. No one's there. It's She's alone. It's very dangerous, this area. It's not a place where somebody's going to be able to find her or help her. And this is when they basically announce their intentions to rape her and are like, are you going to fight us? And she's like, no. And she doesn't. Everything she does is in the name of survival. Survival, yeah. And after raping her, they start to choke her. And... It's to such an extent that she remembers, like, pooping her pants where she's like, I'm going to die. And she starts to go unconscious, but she is still breathing. That's when they start to stab her. And they stab her more than 35 times, basically in her stomach and lower. And she remembers watching him and that the man doing it there's like a halo effect because of the moon behind him. And she's mm-hmm. just like so out of it. Um, can't totally assess what's going on because it's so overwhelming. It's she must be in a state of shock. And after Certainly. they're done stabbing her, they see her leg twitch and they're like, oh, maybe she's not dead. And then she says that what she saw was a, an arm moving above her face, left and right, left and right, and that she could hear a wet sound. She was like, not sure what it was, but it was him cutting her throat over and over and over and over again. He cuts her throat like 17 times. And she oh can't God. feel any pain. She feels like she's in a dream. But she realizes what's happening. She's like, oh, I'm dying. Like, I'm this guy's slashing my throat. And she can hear them. And she hears one of the guys say, do you think she's dead? And the other one is like, no one can survive that. And they leave her in the dirt in the sand on the side of the road naked and oh my god horribly horribly injured and they drive away but her car she can hear a noise and it's the weird noise because her throat is so messed up her trachea is broken but she's breathing somehow but it's making like this horrible noise ugly noise yeah and she can hear it so she's like she's just as out of it as you could ever imagine being and she's lying on this ground thinking like this is so sad i'm dying and the first thing she thinks to do because she heard the guy that said his name was clinton she heard him later his friend call him franz so she knows his name is franz she knows the other guy's name is thunes or whatever so the first thing she does is in the sand she writes their two names because she's like if I'm going to die, fine. They need to know who did it so that these two don't get away and they can't do it oh my to somebody else. She has a little more energy after she writes their names and she uses that to write, I love mom. Mm. And she sees off in the distance lights and she's like, I think I'm near the highway. If I can just get there. And she starts to crawl and she's like, this is not going to work. Like this is – not going to get me there fast enough, and this is very precarious. So she's like, I think I need to try to stand. And she goes to try to stand, but her head is looking at the stars. And she's like, why am I looking at the stars? And it's because of how badly her throat's cut. So she uses one hand (gasps) – 
to hold oh my god her almost decapitated head on and up in the other oh hand god. she has to like put on her shirt to help try to hold her bowels in like her intestines so she's holding her stomach with one hand holding her head with the other and she oh somehow like the lights in and out like she's she really yeah. should be dead and she gets to this road and c- puts herself in the middle of it thinking like that's my best chance and collapses she sees headlights coming it's a car and her thought is i really hope it's not those guys that did this to me yeah. because if it is i don't have any fight to give that's no. it the car slows sees her and drives away and spoiler alert we'll never fucking know who that was and why they made that choice but the next car is our vet it's Tian oh my god it's it's what she calls in the movie her knight in shining armor and he arrives and he does everything and more that he absolutely could like it is by you know so unbelievably lucky that like that is who finds her and when she goes into surgery and they're like she's gonna die and like the guy that thinks she's gonna die only sees her neck and then they're like what's your plan and he's like this 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 and then they're like okay one more thing and then he sees that she's been disemboweled and it's like you're basically like and there's like dirt all over her intestine and sand i mean it's an ash it's like crazy oh my god like oh my god it is so wild the extent of these injuries and it is so wild the doctors in the documentary get emotional talking about it because they're just like of course they said that it was this feeling of the amount of violence and anger and rage and depravity that came through to us in looking at these wounds it yeah. was so overwhelming. Because it's not like they don't have their doctors. They see people come in from horrible car accidents and things that have horrible, horrible injuries that die of their injuries. But the this was someone that something somebody yes. did. Yeah. This is not this is not a maimed body because of an accident, because of because of a freak accident, because of something happening. This is like someone intentionally did this yes. to a person. How could that not keep you up at night? Like, this is going to keep me up at night. I'm just hearing it. Holy shit. Yes. While still in the hospital recovering from the extensive surgeries that she has that save her life. Wow. She is able to identify who did this to <gasps> her through pictures and tell them their names and they there's like a law in South Africa that you had to be in the room with your attacker and like physically even like touch them or something and be like this is the person and when they figure out what happened to her they're like we're gonna see if we can get around that and they do it by one-way glass and now they do it that way all the time but she was sort of a thing that was like we really aren't gonna put this person in a situation like that through any more trauma Yes. And she has a lot of people fighting for her that are very struck by her survival and by the story. And it's, it's yeah, it's a miracle. And the press ends up calling the men the Ripper Rapists. Um, and their names are Franz de Twat. De Twat? De Twat? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, fucking Twat. I'm going to call him de Twat because that feels yeah. 
But this, right. why not? He's a fucking, I mean, he's and an Thune's ass. Kruger, and they plead guilty to the eight charges leveled against them, which obviously involve kidnapping and rape and attempted murder. And they are both found guilty. One of them does like this, like, I'm a Satanist nonsense that is so beside the point and ridiculous and is like, I talk to demons and I just really need help getting the demons out of me. And you're like, mm, not not so. Um, not good enough. Not good enough, sir. And they're sentenced to life in August of 95. Now, the doctors, again, in, in the documentary say – we could speak to you academically about this, and they do, but they're like, the really, we could speak to you academically? This is a miracle. This is an absolute yeah. miracle. Absolutely. One thing that I love is that our friend, the vet, decides after Tien? that night, yeah, he's like, I'm going to become a doctor. And his whole life changes, and he decides like he wants to be a doctor. And also, when they're doing all these surgeries on Alice, and they're like, ooh, this guy like tore up her insides in a way where like she's not going to be able to have kids. And she does have kids. She ends up having two sons and Tien delivers her second son. No. Yes. I just love that. Stop. I love that so much. Man, he saved her life. He brought new life. Which that's really They also are like the fact that she could have kids. It's another miracle. Like it's just – Wow. It's truly a miraculous story. These men, and fuck. She was so traumatized men. afterwards. Um, but she was asked to come speak about it. And she was like nervous, but did, and then couldn't believe how like good she felt afterward. And so she mm -hmm. then has been doing that always. She has told this story in 35 countries. And oh she my God. speaks very publicly about rape in South Africa, which is a big deal because people yeah. don't do that there. And it inspired a lot of other survivors to tell their stories. Another thing she talks about is um, survivor's guilt and how when she was being raped, her body responded sexually and how people don't ever say that because wow. um, obviously there's such a – yeah. Uh, what, what's the word? It's very loaded. It's There's such a taboo. There's such a – yeah. And so, wow. but she does speak about that and how it was like an even bigger betrayal in the moment that her body yeah. would do that to her. Totally. But that people don't talk about that. And when she did, so many women thanked her for talking about it because yeah. they were like, nobody talks about that. And that was well, really helpful you, for me. You worry about, you know, I think with sexual assault like that, I mean, this case, it's obviously they tried to kill her. So there's no way she, like she was, I think with like, Nobody wants to talk about pleasure within a sexual assault because it would you would worry that someone would use that against you mm -hmm. like in some way that was offering consent, which is not. But the doctors know? and stuff talk about it too, and they're like, that's a really normal thing that your body does. Totally. It's a survival tactic. Totally. Um totally. She wins a bunch of awards, uh award called Courage Beyond the Norm. She wins Feminine Magazine's Woman of Courage Award. She is honored as Port Elizabeth Citizen of the Year. Wow. And in speaking about it now, uh, I was reading that it was really tricky because she was like, ooh, I, I don't want to lie to my kids, but I also – I don't want them to find out that this happened like through another means. Like maybe they'll see something totally. – with As they get older, they would see like something in a book or something on TV about it. And when her five-year-old is like, why did you have that mark on your neck – 
She's like, mommy was hurt. And sometimes when you get hurt, you get a scar afterwards. And that's all she's said so far to him when I was reading about it. But it's this thing of like, she's trying to be honest and find a way to talk about it. And as they get older, obviously, there'll be more and more. Oh, God. (sighs) Because she doesn't want to make them afraid, but she also doesn't want to lie. Oh, my God. So she made this docudrama, um, Allison, about her experience that I watched and she's in it talking a lot um, firsthand about the whole thing and she really did it to help other people and she says I'm not an activist but there's a need to show what victims go through people tell me I'm so glad you're over what happened to you and I don't want to burst their bubble but it's never behind you it doesn't ever not matter you can choose every day to have a good day or a bad day and I've grown up enough not to blame every bad day on being a victim of rape and attempted murder but it is never over I think that um, the judge was really disturbed because he found out that one of the men who did this to her had raped once before and one had raped two times before. They both had like a history. So he was very adamant that there not be any possibility of parole and that they be put away. Um, When they go to jail, one of their dads ends up killing himself, I think, because he's like, can't handle that his son did this. Yeah. Years later, a woman writes to Allison and is like, my daughter is engaged to Franz. She met him on like whatever, Facebook. Like here is this guy that did this to her. He's allowed to be on social media. And she was basically like, help me. I don't know what to do. And which is so wild. But Allison is writing the authorities to be like, just so you know, this guy is like communicating with people outside prison. He's engaged, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I don't, whatever you're going to do, I just don't want him to know that I'm part of it. And they somehow, the letter that she writes gets two fronds. Fucking hell. So it's just, it's, it's so fucked up. After they started working on this movie, they find out that all the prisoners that have been sentenced in South Africa before October of 2004 are going to become eligible for parole. Fuck right off. Fuck right off. Yeah. And when they go to ask, I th- I can't remember if they go to ask if they can talk to Franz or if Franz just contacts them. But he's basically like, I will do an interview for your movie. All I want is a signed letter of forgiveness from Allison. And I also want some backdated profits from her book. I want like a share of the profits from her book because really <gasps> she couldn't have written that book if I didn't do that to her. Like I was a part of the story. Oh, 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 the rage I feel, the fucking rage I feel is fucking tangible. So believe it or not, Allison is like, thank you so much, and declines that generous offer. offer. Wow, wow. I did read. Did she write, thanks for reaching out? (laughs) Well, here's what I read. I read that after serving 28 years, they were both granted parole in July Fuck of off. 2023, this past July. I I think the movie that is not able to contend with that, she talks about the possibility of them having parole and how that feels. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't feel good. But I can't I, imagine. And she's done so much work on herself, too. You know, like she's... She's been functioning in this world as a survivor mm-hmm. and as someone who's, I mean, like, oh, God, you just like want her to live in just the most absolute peace. Mm-hmm. She Holy deserves shit. that. 
Yeah, the very least. And because it's such a, an astounding bummer and devastation station that they got out on parole, I did want to have like one offering, which is a quote from her to end on. Remind yourself that you do not have to take responsibility for what others do. Life is not a collection of what happens to you, but of how you've responded to what has happened to you. Mm. And we love you, Allison. You're amazing. Allison, you're a miracle. So brave and so generous. So generous. Like that anytime that it's just like the generosity with which people share about their experience and the healing that they offer to others who've gone through something similar, who might not have as, you know, loud of a voice or not as that's just uh uh, so amazing. <sighs> Let me readjust. I got to adjust. That was a lot. <laughs> well, I guess it's my turn. There's no one else here. <laughs> There's no one else. Well, say that to the dog at my feet. Okay, so I got this information from 48 Hours. It's from a special called The Perfect Child. CBS News in Rochester first. So we're going to go back. It's the 90s. The hair is big. The curls are loud. You know, the lipstick is red. The hair is bleached um, to an American couple um, named Crystal and Jesse. When they are when they are interviewed, their last name is omitted for their own privacy, because what we're about to talk about is some controversial shit. So the two of them, they're married. They do the thing that you do when people get married. They try to start a family and they're having a tough time. It's not going well for them. And they'd mention, and I think this will speak to a lot of people, which is, you know, they have their family and friends asking, you know, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And that just, we got to stop asking people that. So they try for years to have children and it's not working out. So they decide that they're going to go through the adoption route or they're going to see what options they have. So in 1997, they're on the interwebs, which frankly is pretty new at that point. And they they find their way to a Russian adoption agency. And on the adoption agency, they find these pictures of a couple of kids, one of which is a nine-year-old. Um, she's super cute. She has blonde hair, blue eyes. She's described as outgoing and intelligent. Um, in addition to some of this stuff, they 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 list that she has some developmental delay, some learning differences. But when they look in and ask these questions, they find out that really she's a healthy, nice, outgoing little girl who, with the right home, um, with the right resources, she could flourish. But she's, you know, she's in an orphanage at nine years old. I think that comes with, you know, I mean, trauma and challenges and attachment issues and all that stuff. And then they also find a three-year-old boy, blonde hair, blue-eyed. So these parents from the U.S. are like, these are our kids. And they fly to Moscow and they take a train to Brovici to meet their new kids. Once they see their nine-year-old daughter, they name her Carolee. And their three-year-old son, they name him Joshua. It's love at first sight. And Carolee looks into Crystal's eyes and says, you're my mama. And it's like, because of Russian law, privacy laws, you know, the information that they send you know, via email, via mail is a little bit different than the information you can find in the orphanage. But at that point, it's like, these are their kids. They're taking them home. They're adopting their kids. They notice early on in the adoption that Carolee shows some evidence of anger. And 
this is sort of to be expected. She's nine years old. They've adopted her. Her life has changed so much. And she's nine years old. And this must be really scary. And she's changed environments so many times. So they can explain it away. And then they come home. And the first year, you know, again, those like moments of anger arise and it gives them pause. They notice she becomes withdrawn and angry. Joshua, the three-year-old, is flourishing. I think he's just like a really happy kid. I also think he's significantly younger and doesn't have as much knowledge of the world around him. So her parents at the time will be asleep and they'll wake up and they'll find that she's staring at them in their room, which really freaks them the fuck out. They would see her sort of dissociate and stare off into the distance. They noticed her anger just was getting worse and worse. She would have these spells where she was just incredibly angry. She would that she was incredibly angry. I almost said angry. Like I can't <laughs> read English. That's fun. Um, she would steal things. And so this is turning out to be more involved than just having kids come to your home and boom, they're a part of your family. So Crystal decides to quit her job so she could spend more time with her daughter and help her more and just be more present. It's their second Christmas there. And so they've been adopted or in the home a little bit over a year. And Crystal asks Carolee to go get her brother. And their house is has a deck on the top that's sort of attached by stilts. So it's like a 30-foot tall deck. So Crystal calls to Carolee to bring her brother down. Crystal sees, she looks up at the deck, and according to Crystal, she sees Carolee holding her little brother Joshua over the deck. She runs over. She screams, what are you doing? Put him down now. And she goes, were you trying to kill him? And Carolee says yes. 48 Hours is interviewing this family while this is going on, mm-hmm. right? And it's called The Perfect Child because they're, like, seeing the deterioration of this little girl and the struggles that this family has with her. They call a psychiatrist who speaks to Carolee. Carolee is claiming that she's hearing voices, that she's hallucinating. Um, a psychiatrist is, like, she actually is a danger. She's a homicidal risk. And if this little boy Joshua is around, she could kill him. So they admit her to a psychiatric hospital where she spends about four months there. Crystal and Jesse's insurance will not cover a, a indefinite stay at this hospital. So their insurance is running out. So while she's in the hospital, they're contacting Russia, this orphanage, asking for more documents. And there they get some more information. They get information about her birth mother, saying that she was, quote, amoral and antisocial. Um, And they say how her birth mother would put her in rags and she was dirty and hungry. If they had received this information before the adoption, they might not have adopted her. The orphanage at this point is denying that they withheld any information. And in fact, they say, you know, we have to hide certain information because of Russian privacy laws. But when you go to this adoption, when you go to this orphanage, you you need to do your due diligence and look up these records. But we didn't withhold anything actively. Mm. So Carolee, nine years old, she's in a psychi- – she's nine or ten years old. She's in a psychiatric ward for about four months under constant care. Um, so she returns home. And just of note, while she's in there, one of the doctors – I mean, 
people talk about how she has developmental issues and emotional issues. One doctor, though, writes that her behavior was impeccable and staff notices that her parents were like a little cold and distant. Now, she was there after she, quote, tried to kill her brother. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little... I th- I could understand why the parents would be cold and distant, but it's also like you don't really know who to believe, right? It's mm-hmm. like... Um, so 48 hours there, this, this reporter, Troy Roberts is interviewing the family and this little girl, this little nine-year-old girl is like, I tried to kill my brother. And the little boy is like, I'm scared of my sister because she tried to kill me. She's really subdued Mm -hmm. and it feels like she's like saying what she has to, like like, admitting it. Yeah. Like you can tell when kids are just like repeating what they've been told. Yeah. And I, and again, like she's nine years old like she like there's home videos of her and she looks really happy and like engaged but again like i the 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 trauma with which this nine-year-old girl was raised and brought up is like not to be um underestimated right so the family is really scared they're really worried about their son joshua who's four years old who's like my sister's trying to kill me which like that's super fucked they add cameras and alarms on her door in their house so they can constantly monitor her um other psychiatrists near the family or close to the family that are are you know speaking to carolee and working with her say that she does have rage and anger and they think she has attachment issues and by that they mean she cannot bond and she cannot love um she is on medication and it's not working she still has these thoughts um and she says she's hallucinating and hearing and seeing people. Um, and the parents are afraid of her, which, you know, just from like an outside editorial eye, it just feels like it's self-fulfilling. You know what I mean? Like the parents are afraid. The little boy is afraid. She's afraid. She doesn't know what's happening. Um, they claim that she tried to kill their dog. They found their dog with like something around his neck, a tight, like strangling the dog. Um, so they send their four-year-old son away to his grandma's house about like hun- like hundreds of miles away in Texas because they're like, she's a risk. She's going to kill him if they're in this house together. That's what the doctors have told us. So we're sending our son away to go live with grandma while we deal with this. Um, doctors have said that if he is home, that she could kill him. So it's been two years of this that they've had her in their in their care and they're they're at a loss. They don't know what to do. They've adopted this girl and like they're they're up Schitt's Creek without a paddle. <laughs> it's the winter of 1999 and the parents, Crystal and Jesse, and they're being filmed while this is happening. They're bringing her to a store to somewhere to get a passport where she has like to get her passport. And they're like, we're going to send you to this Russia Institute who deals with these cases of kids from orphanages with psychological issues because we don't know what to do to help you we can't help you Mm -hmm. so they and she's like i'm just going to the hospital for a couple months they take their life savings and they bring her back to russia right before she has no idea that she's going away forever right right before they leave her like they interview her in the car and and she's about to go into the hospital and she tells the interviewer, she's like, I did not try to kill my brother. I just I just tried to pick him up and he slipped, but he was too heavy. But like, I love him. Mommy and daddy just don't understand it. 
the reporter on this case is like, oh, my God, I wish I could take her. Like, I wish I could help her. Yeah. And the institute is like, you have to sign a waiver that you'll be back, that you'll promise you'll be back. And they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They leave. They fly home from Russia. They collect their son. They go on and live their life. They annul the adoption. Yeah. They take her back. They take her back. 48 hours is still there. And they come to visit her. And 48 hours does. Yes. Great. Not her adoptive parents. Who 48 hours. don't give a fuck about her because she was not convenient. It's, it's so conflicting because, like, I do think they were really afraid for their son. But I think it's – so 48 hours goes in and interviews her. This, like, little 10-year-old girl comes out from this locked ward that she's in. And she's like, I don't want to stay here. I feel like I'm in jail. I just want to go back to America. Ugh. This poor little girl. They drop her off. They annul the adoption. The 48 Hours episode comes out, and it's very clear why these parents did not include their name, their last name, in this fucking mm-hmm. in this fucking interview because it is it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Like I can't. So. So that's where the story leaves off. Well, flash forward around 20 years later. Carolee reaches out to Troy Roberts from 48 Hours. She now goes by Sabrina, and she's married with four kids in North Carolina. And it's like, how did she end up there? They interview her, and you see her interview, and she and she speaks the same. I'm always like, is this the same person? You know what I mean? Like, you're always like, mm-hmm. is this just someone who watched this episode and, like, came back later? Right. But... You know what I mean? You'd like, like to totally think 40 could be does some due diligence there. A but little due diligence. Um, but they interview her and she talks about how at nine years old, like her little brother was three and she did love him. But she was like, it was very clear that they favored him over me. Like he was this like young kid who was really happy, who didn't have like all of this trauma, stuff, mm-hmm. trauma. And she just wanted out and she became incredibly depressed and she became suicidal And she said she, like, tried to hurt herself multiple times. And then she made up that she was seeing and hearing things because she just wanted out. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be gone. She didn't want to be a part of this family. And she also says that she's like, I never tried to kill my brother. He was big, and I tried to carry him downstairs. And it might have looked like I was. But in that moment, what happened was is her adoptive mother came up to her, and she was like, you were trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. She kept saying, no, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to kill him. He slipped. He was too big until finally she was just badgered enough that she said yes. Mm-hmm. This is like a nine, 10 year old girl. So we see what happened to her. She went to the hospital where she was there for two months and then she was picked up and brought back to the U.S. Where who in 2002, she was adopted by a new family in North Carolina where she lived until she graduated high school. She went on to volunteer at this like nonprofit that provided medical care. She worked in a hospital. She meets her husband at church. And as of today, she says she does not suffer from any mental illness, that she is not on any medication. Um, that before she got married to her husband, she actually made him sit down and watch the 48 Hours episode. And she was like, I thought he would run away. It had the opposite effect. Um, and it's, the way she's being interviewed, it, it's pretty remarkable because she's like, you know, listen, if I was in their shoes, I probably would have done all of the same things except for one thing. I wouldn't take a child back. Um, 
But even so, she's like, I have no hard feelings for the couple because she's like, I have to forgive my past because I have an amazing life. I have a great husband. I have amazing kids. If I didn't go through what I went through, I wouldn't have that. Um, But it's like this family came and dropped her off and she actually reached out to her adoptive mother and was like, here's what my life has been. I'm okay. I'm all right. Mm -hmm. And her, you know, Crystal had reached out and was like, I prayed that you'd be okay. And it's like, then you did everything right, Crystal. Then you did everything right, Crystal. So good job. And she's like, Josh was also a father. And it's like, good. So like, you got your perfect kid. And, you know, (laughs) I was shuttled around here and there. And what's interesting about this case is Troy Roberts, the guy, the reporter on the case, on the, um, on the episode, um, like he talked about seeing her in a psychiatric ward and he talked and he like would hug her and he's like, I wanted to take her with me. Like I wanted to rescue this little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he felt so helpless. And so interestingly enough, many years later, he was doing a story in um, South Africa and he met this woman who had a mixed race son who she, I think she was, had cancer or something and she was looking for someone to adopt her son and so he ended up adopting a four-year-old son um, from a woman. And um, he talked about the parallels between, not the parallels in terms of issues that he ran into, but how he was so profoundly inspired by Carolee's story. Mm. And he felt so helpless in her in her experience and that it inspired him to, have, to adopt an older child. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is wild. It's, and I and I feel I've I I can't the I it's it was heartbreaking to see this little girl they were like bringing her to a Kinkos or whatever it was in the nineties to get her passport picture taken and she's like smiling and she has no idea that her parents are like about to return her. Ugh, gross. It's really gross. It's really sad. And I feel really relieved that she has had a normal yeah. life and she's gotten the help and she does have like the comfort of family and love in her life. But I just was like totally surprised by the story and had to share it. Yeah, that's shocking. I'm really glad that we know how it turned out. It would have been like particularly devastating to leave us hanging with there's a nine-year-old back in Russia who doesn't know she's not coming home. I'm really glad that it's a flash forward piece. But um, what a crazy devastating thing and it just it feels like um people that that do this sometimes do it and they don't they're they don't understand the responsibility they don't understand that the responsibility and the idea that a lot of times when you are adopting somebody there's a reason that they're up for adoption it's that things didn't go great for them so far and they might have picked up a little trauma along the way and that means that there's a huge responsibility that you don't just get the kid and go, and I'll be a good parent. It's you're getting somebody and you need to be ready to ask for help. Yeah. yeah. To seek I mean, I think, outside. You know, it's like it, I, I just think right. they do it and they do it so irresponsibly. And they're like, gosh, I hope it goes well. I hope we get a good one. <laughs> well, I, I, I do think, you know, I don't think people enter this necessarily willy-nilly you know I do think that I I really do I mean mean, this is the optimism in me is I do think that these people went in wanting to do what was right and I don't and I don't think people know the massive responsibility it is and the and the 
the possible complications and trauma that come along with it. And I think sometimes like if you don't, if you don't, if you, if you were to know what you were going to go through doing this, would you still go through it? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think sometimes people go into things blindly and then, and then stuff comes up that they are prepared to meet. Mm -hmm. And these people were clearly not. And I think what exacerbated the issue is that they had this like three-year-old little boy who was fine, you Mm -hmm. know? And so they, this poor little girl, you know, it'd be one thing if they had adopted her and they had this trauma to sort through and to work through and figure out, which it felt like they were like, with the right school, this like developmental delay they could work through, they could, you know, they could figure it out. But it's like they had one kid who was easy and they ignored the child who really needed them, who needed help. It's, you know, late in life adoptions come with a lot of a lot of stuff. And I think if people really knew, would they continue with it? But as also I'm I'm grateful people don't know because kids also need love. Like mm-hmm. they they need a home. Um, yeah, I I just it's the idea that they like how like in the video and in the in the footage you see them leaving Russia and they're like let's go back to America I can't wait to go back to America and I couldn't help but just muster up a fuck you mm-hmm. I know and and I don't doubt that their their experience probably was incredibly traumatic. But I just, my heart went out to this little girl who was so confused and was just offered, like, she saw this woman and she's like, my mama, she just wanted to be loved. That's it. Yeah. And they they tried to get in contact with the psychiatrist who diagnosed her with attachment issues. And again, this, this, like, lovely adult woman is like, I have a family I love. Like, she seems pretty great. She's got three girls and a little boy. Um, But it's like they tried to reach out to the psychiatrist who had diagnosed her as sort of being, like you know, um, a lost cause <laughs> and without hope. Um, but they didn't get a hold of him. He didn't respond to their request. Well, yeah. Interview. Yeah. He well, was busy. Sense. I'm sure. That makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. That tracks. That tracks. Anyway. Well, thank you for telling that story. Mixed. You're welcome. Mixed. It's like mine. It's, um, it's There's a happy ending. a little bit of a silver lining. It's a <laughs> yeah. happy ending. I don't know about you, but I need to eat lunch before this meeting at two. Oh, great. I like lunch. Okay. Well, what do you want me to make you? <laughs> Don't tease me. I'll send me. it to you. Don't uh, tease yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, I'm going to make some leftovers because you know I love leftovers. Um, dearest listeners, thank you so much. Um, feel free to like, subscribe, leave a review, join Patreon. Don't we love feel you. free. Feel pressured. Feel pressured. Feel pressured. Feel the... feel the And then d- buckle the... under that pressure. Yes. <laughs> we want you to buckle under the pressure. Truly. Truly, we really do. See you next All week. All right. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. See you next week. Bye.